0: and hello humans welcome to the not a robot dc comics review show thanks for joining me today it's my first comics review podcast so i'll take a second to introduce myself my name is josh and i've been reading comics for about 30 years that whole time i've been a huge dc comics fan and i'll be reviewing those each and every week i'm also a husband father nerd i'm a comics fan again but not necessarily in that order and most importantly I am not a robot. Now, real quick, I've been looking to put together a team for podcast reviews of DC Comics, so if you have the equipment, the time, and the need to talk about these things, be sure to hit me up. My review scores are going to be built on art, story, dialogue, relevance, relevance excuse me overall worth, and enjoyability, so I feel like those scores are well-deserved. You're not going to see many tens, and really low scores are entirely possible. I do feel like those scores rarely mirror those of other reviewers, and I feel like I'm just a comic fan telling it how I see it. Speaking of making things possible, I'd like to take a second to give a shout-out to the Cellar Dweller and America's Sweetheart Jim Warner and Eric Shea of Weird Science DC and Marvel Podcasts for hosting this podcast episode and giving a fan a chance. Thanks a lot, y'all. I appreciate it. And now, on to the show. Today I'll be reviewing Batman Superman number 10, Legion of Superheroes number 7, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 47, Suicide Squad number 7, Wonder Woman number 759 and Deceased Hope at World's End number 6. First up is Batman Superman number 10, written by Joshua Williamson, pencil and inked by Clayton Henry, colored by Alejandro Sanchez, covered by Henry and Sanchez Devastation in Gotham City Following the events of a massive explosion In Midtown Batman and Superman pick up the pieces To learn who rigged the atomic skull Like a bomb And will they do it again All will be revealed As the horrific plan of the ultra humanite Rains terror down On the lives of the dark knight And the man of steel Alright so we open up to the page Page 1 Superman being knocked into a semi-trailer. Now, this is no ordinary semi-trailer because apparently that gives him an unusually tall forehead for the rest of the issue. Superman is telling bad punny jokes. I'm not really into that. It's They more suit the Flash than ever, anything I've ever seen Superman do. Uh, but, uh, ultra-humanite, in all his splendid and infinite wisdom, is using the atomic sequencer he stole to, uh... Beat Superman and everything around with it. And he cracks it open. Boom. Big explosion. Superman approaches to find out Ultra Humanite has blown away half of his body. Before he dies, though, he's still able to get out. This is just a body. My mind is strong. You'll see. Ooh. Drama. I like it. We flip the page for a reminder that Atomic Skull just blew up, took out some of Gotham City, and nearly killed Batman. We see that the media is blaming the explosion on Superman. And also, somehow, Bruce's forehead was made taller by that semi-trailer, too. Uh, some quick detective work tracks down the origin of the bomb they found in Atomic Skull, and off they go. They find Ultra-Humanite in charge of several decomposing bodies, one of which has a bomb in it. While Batman is left to disperse with the small army of the undead, it appears, um... Superman flies off with the one that has the bomb inside of him, and uh, so he can explode safely out, out in outer space. As Superman returns, he doesn't find anyone left, including Bruce, which isn't atypical of Batman, uh, so Superman doesn't think anything of it. We turn the page, and we see a cave and go inside. Batman is strapped to the table, waking up in the middle of Ultra-Humanite in a new giant ape body giving a monologue, which admittedly he does apologize for. Uh, Batman asks Ultrahumanite what he wants, and of course it's to kill Superman. No real big surprise there. But he's going to do it with Batman's help. Batman breaks free from the straps and says he won't let Ultrahumanite turn him into a bomb, to which Ultrahumanite, wow, that's a long name to say repetitively, <laughs> to which Ultrahumanite replies, oh, how do I enjoy being a proper villain? or excuse me, oh how I do enjoy being a proper villain. And shocks, Batman, I'm assuming by the art around it. Um it's a it's a pretty spread. It looks like he's being Batman's being electrocuted with the collar around his neck. And uh while he says he has already performed the surgery, and we see Batman reacting pain uh reacting in pain from that shock. Next Atomic Batman? Okay. So overall the art throughout is, is is good. I can't say too much other than it's in a rather cartoony way when it comes to the human characters. The environment, Superman's powers, uh, ultra-humanite, those are all drawn great. Uh, I'm really super happy with all of those. Batman and Superman, while not over the top, bad, they're just not drawn to my taste. Um, their bodies are okay. It's just their faces, the way their heads are drawn. I don't know. It's just something that just doesn't sit with me. Uh, the story here, it it progresses nicely from the previous issue. There's no skips, no beats, no clunkiness. Uh, nothing forgotten behind. Uh, Ultra Humanite in the right hands is a great villain, and they have done a great job here. Now, if they could only get him a new game. <laughs> uh, this is better than the regular Superman run at the moment, if you've read that, or Action Comics, and better than anything that we got out of the city of Bane for Batman. So them two teaming up, Batman, Superman... I give this a final score of 7 out of 10. Next up is Legion of Superheroes number 7. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Pencils by Steve Byrne and Ryan Sook. Inks by Steve Byrne and Wade Graubacher. Colored by Geordie Bellair, And the cover is by Ryan Sook. Jonathan Kent, Intergalactic Fugitive. The United Planets is less than thrilled with the decision to bring Superboy a thousand years into the future to protect the past. Planet Gotham is under siege. Alter Boy's homeworld is on the verge of an all-out war. And as if that weren't enough, new Legionnaire drama unfolds as Saturn Girl and Cosmic Boy throw down over who should take on the Legion's leadership. Plus, Brainiac 5 will reveal a secret that will make one Legionnaire quit the team. And we ask the burning question, who is the strongest Legionnaire? Find out in the only book telling you the future of the DC Universe every month. Okay, so the book opens up with another introduction to another character, which, of course, isn't featured in the book. We see a lot of this taunting that's happened um, in previous issues with, like, the Gold Lantern and the new Dr. Fate. It's just little things to make people buy the damn comic book, and there's there's no story tied to it at all. Uh, On to the recap. <laughs> this The book opens up with another introduction to that character, and then past that... Um, uh, Cosmic Boy, who later talks about how he's good at talking to people, but shows that he clearly isn't. The Madam Honor and Superboy are discussing the Legion's status with the United Planets, and they, they also find out that Rimbor is now exiled from the United Planets due to a vote that just occurred. Back at Legion headquarters, after that, Saturn Girl and Cosmic Boy over argue over whether he should still be leading when Act 5 chips in. Um... They call a Legion meeting, and an election ensues. Ultra Boy, who happens to be the son of Krav, the leader of the recently exiled planet of Rimbor, suggests that he should lead after John Kent turns it down because he doesn't even know where the bathroom is. Cosmic Boy flies off in a temper tantrum, Ultra Boy wins the election, and as soon as it's finished, Krav shows up with five of his friends to demand the Legion's surrender. That is the entire plot of that whole book In just a few seconds, Um, nothing really happens. I wish I had positive things to say about this book. I was a fan of the Legion's books as a kid, and they were pretty much the only thing that I read outside of the main books at the time. Don't get me wrong, the art in these are really good. I love what Ryan Sook did with this. I happen to love the look of pretty much all of the members of the Legion. The main gist of how everything is set up leads one to believe that this is supposed to be a good book. Here we are at issue number seven, and it's kind of the first time anything mentioned has ever been wrapped up. That being the election for a new leader, which just got brought up in this issue, and the Legion finally being recognized by the United Planets, which we all thought originally was the case in issue number one. Um, It's the same book, every issue. There's dialogue changes, but... There's little to no progression in every issue we're stalling on any kind of real story. Everything that's been presented as big has just kind of, it just kind of sits in the back seat while we see pages and pages of mostly meaningless dialogue. It's just another filler issue leading into a giant filler issue next month with the gimmick of having a total of 41 different artists working on it. That's a great concept, but um, unfortunately not in these hands. All we get is filler content throughout this entire book. It's been seven issues of it, plus two issues prior introducing the Legion that was nothing but filler. Um, that's, that's all this is. These characters, especially Superboy, uh, this Superboy in particular deserve a story with meat to them. They're, they're great characters and they should be given great stories. What we get instead of, uh, a a meaty story is a low fat zero cal diet water. And that's just not satisfying at all. The art saves this book, but that's the only thing that does. And I suppose a bit of nostalgia on my part boosts the score as well the uh, legion of superheroes gets a final score of five out of ten the next book on the review list this week is red hood outlaw number 47 written by scott labdell pencils and inks by paolo Pe- Pentalena, and colored by every prianto uh, the cover is also by Pentalena and prianto the uh, chamber of all has been excavated by the Untitled Incorrect, which means it's up to Red Hood, Artemis, Bizarro, and Essence to prevent an unspeakable horror from wiping out all of humanity once and for all. Sounds like a tall order for the outlaws? Don't worry, they'll get help from the most unexpected and misunderstood super team of all time, Red Hood and the outlaws. All this plus Ma Gun learns the tragic reason, reason Monsieur Mala, and the Brain want to teach the students of Generation Outlaw. So we start this issue out with a flashback to the original original Red Hood and Outlaws, uh, featuring Arsenal and Starfire as the other members of the team. We see them all in the Chamber of All, looking for a door to walk through as Red Hood uh, explains what the chamber is. Then we uh, flip to the... Present and current Red Hood and the Outlaws, the team now made up of Jason Todd, the Red Hood, Artemis, General, Glory, and Essence, with Saru the Proctor in tow, the Untitled are about to use these obelisks to gain entrance to the Chamber of All that we saw them going for in the last issue. There's infighting between Red Hood and Essence as to whether they should try to protect the Karakis or not, why they tackle the Untitled as well. After a few pages of bickering between all of them and how to take everything on, how to go about it, Artemis calls the mistress, her possessed axe, and uh, I guess you would call it that. I don't know if it's not really her girlfriend, it's her possessed axe, okay. And she destroys one of the obelisks. Then uh, we flash the bizarro trading blows and banter with Trigon. Trigon isn't very happy that Bizarro is there trying to stop him going from going through the door and taking over the Earth, as he had to deal with the into- Untitled to do just that. Uh, Bizarro is getting his butt kicked a little, but he manages to freeze Trigon's arm with his ice vision and then smashes it to get away. The demon horde around Trigon is sitting there watching, making a few comments about the end of Trigon. They sound like they might kind of prefer if Trigon went away, but... Uh, um. Trigon continues to berate Bizarro with threats of wearing his hollowed-out skull as a necklace. I think he says it at least twice in this issue, honestly. Uh, Then we go back to the team where they've decided to evacuate the Karakis while Jason attempts to close the Chamber of All forever with Saru's help. Now we're back to Bizarro. Him and Trigon are still fighting. There's more insults. Back to the team. Everyone is working together to close the door that was opened to Trigon when Red Hood had to break away to stop the approaching Untitled trying to stop them. They see Bizarro on the other side of the door, but rally to try keeping the door closed, or try close the door faster, kind of hoping that his sacrifice wasn't for nothing. And then when the original outlaws show up to kill, help kill the Untitled, there's a few jokes about how everybody feels about magic, uh, next page more trash talking from Trigon, and apparently Bizarro has had enough. It looks as though in the final page, we see Bizarro standing there with Trigon's heart in his hand. And he says, whoops, that escalated quickly. Next issue, we can't even imagine, but it rhymes with Smoker Door. Okay, so um, this book has been kind of all over the place for a while now. Uh, Red Hood is still a villain, but he's also a hero, and he's not quite an anti-hero, so he doesn't even really know what he is. I can't figure out what he is. Um, I don't think most people can. Now, I absolutely love that the team is back together. When Red Hood and the Outlaws first came out, I thought that was great. I loved all three characters, and the way they were together was pretty cool. Um, when the book came back, uh, I got excited again, because, again, I love the characters. It was a totally different animal then, um, and still is. Uh, it's We've gotten progression on, on, on the front as far as, you know, there's actually been storyline developing it's all in all things things may have gotten a little wacky uh but it appears that they're starting to come together now finally uh as the book i believe is coming to a close uh i've never been the biggest lapdell fan he he likes to recycle stuff he likes to copy other works and i mean no offense lapdell but i mean that's that's what you do uh we see um we see Artemis here now is almost essentially a clone of thor it's it's a little it's a little ridiculous to be honest but i mean it, the characters are brought together to uh in, in somewhat trying to string together a decent story and it seems like finally all those threads are starting to weave i just wish it would have happened a lot a whole lot sooner um I love that Red Hoods had that character development. He's not obsessed with being associated with Batman anymore. That got left a long time ago. He's given his own little world to operate in. It's a great place to put um different characters. The original t- the original team was great. It's never really been a popular book, but for me for the most part it's always been entertaining um labdella's humor throughout this issue that just falls flat uh some things overall are introduced and that we never knew before like her acts being possessed um seemingly out of nowhere uh the entirety of the story arc could have used a lot of streamlining and better planning ahead of time like way back i feel like the uh i feel like the direction was off quite a bit um with this issue, it feels like everything's coming together, like I said. As is usual, I love the art that's in the book. It's always drawn quite well. Um, there's there's issues. I mean, to be sure, there's been some that I just... When we're talking about this particular issue, this one was done real well. Um, there's never really a time that you look at something or someone and don't know who or what it is. And that's a problem in other issues in DC right now the full page splash of Bizarro attacking Trigon was beautiful him leaping up towards Trigon's chest and you can see the the wound on Trigon before Bizarro even gets there and uh, it's, it's done really well, the characters, the scenery the powers, everything's done pretty darn well I feel as some characters read the same, you know, meaning like uh, there's a bit of a lack of personality differences coming through in the dialogue, and that's important to me uh, overall, though, this is one of the better issues as of late. I would, I would give this a 6.5 out of 10. And on to Suicide Squad number 7, written by Tom Taylor, pencils by Daniel Sampier, inks by Juan Alvaro, colored by Andriano Lucas, cover was by Alvaro Lucas and Sampier. And he's out with a pardon in his pocket. Deadshot walks away from the Suicide Squad in hopes of reuniting with his daughter, Zoe, and making things right. But you can't outrun your past when it's still looking to kill you. And their family reunion quickly takes a turn for the deadly. To whom can Deadshot turn when he's left behind everyone who's once had his back? We open up issue number 7 of Suicide Squad to none other than Ted Lord. Being rather unhappy... Ted Cord, excuse me. Being rather unhappy that the revolutionaries have not been captured yet. He makes it obviously known that he wants them taken out, even publicly if necessary. Um, there's also talk of some mysterious girl that Cord and company have hidden away somewhere, someone without any digital records, so that's a new plot point. I'm, I'm very curious as to who this is. Uh, I I don't have any. The rest of the issue is dedicated to Deadshot putting down the mask. He's at his daughter's door seeking redemption because he's been cleared and released. And in catching up, his daughter has developed, uh, she lets Deadshot know that she's developed a talent for marksmanship just like her father. Uh, but she calls her costume self Live Shot instead of Deadshot. Because it's like Deadshot, but without killing anyone. I can, I can see the logic there. <laughs> uh, shortly after arriving, his ex-wife sees on the news an alert looking for Deadshot and the rest of Task Force X. The FBI immediately show up after it's seen, and though his gut reaction is to fight his way out, his daughter's presence actually convinces him to go out onto the front lawn and surrender. He does it as peacefully as possible. He tries to calm the police officers or the FBI agents. While he's trying to do all this, he's getting kicked and hit by those there to pick him up, and that's too much for his daughter to take, who starts shooting bows and uh, shooting arrows at the FBI. Uh, Deadshot has to jump up and fight to save his daughter's life, and then out of nowhere, Wink shows up from the Suicide Squad to teleport her to safety. Uh, the uh, the Suicide Squad's ship lands, and Deadly Six comes out and fills the FBI agents with greed, which makes self-preservation a priority, like what they did there, and the FBI skedaddle out of their so, the Suicide Squad is reunited. Deadshot realizes that they won't ever stop hunting him, so he retrieves his gear from inside and says it's time to kill the Suicide Squad. Next issue, taking the fight to Ted Cord, plus the secret history of the Aerie and the Wink. But so what can you say about the suicide, suicide Squad books as of late? Um, honestly, they're written great. There's not a lot of unnecessary tropes that ever get thrown in there. Uh... Taylor, uh, he's really good at making us care about the characters, whether it's huge characters like Deadshot that are big popular and have even been in movies, or much less popular ones like The Creeper. Uh, the progression here is spot on. Uh, I never feel like there's a dead moment. I never feel like we're going too fast. I never feel like it's going too slow. If anything, I, I, I wish that it would take longer just because... I'm enjoying the story so much. Um, it's done real well. This series, of course, I, I didn't mention the, the art. The art is in, in the Suicide Squad since issue, since this since this entire arc has been happening. It's absolutely show somebody an issue of this to show them how you should have bare minimum acceptance for comic book art. Uh, Now, this series is not what you would hand someone to give them a really good idea of who and what The Suicide Squad is, but if someone just wanted a good story art that exists outside of what the rest of the world in DC is doing right now, this is it. It's well written, it's well drawn, it's well colored, there's appropriate humor, appropriate darkness, and it's a pretty damn good recipe for success. My final score on The Suicide Squad is 8.5 out of 10. And on to Wonder Woman number 759, written by Marika Tamaki, pencils and inks, pencils and inks by Mikkel Janon, colored by Jordi Belair, covered by David Marquez. It's a brand new day for Wonder Woman, as Diana starts to pick up the pieces of her life. Following her battle with the Four Horsewomen and her run-in with the Phantom Stranger, man's world has become more complicated to navigate than ever before. It seems everyone has a take on who Wonder Woman should be, some who look on her heroics with admiration, and some who lie in wait to seek revenge. A familiar thread is watching Diane as every move, and now is the perfect time to strike. <sighs> Wonder Woman number 759 starts out with letting us know that Wonder Woman is a hero, and that she defeated Max Lord's recent attempt to stop her. Being a hero, the very first scene is that of a prison that we see in the book. The rest of the issue is filled with a narrative debating what it means to be a hero and where the lines are drawn between good and evil all while sharing random unconnected scenes throughout the whole issue um and then peering into Wonder Woman moving into her new apartment at the end of it Wonder Woman is enlisted to help with the prison problem that we saw earlier at the beginning of the book and uh, Wonder Woman shows up immediately where the immediately she knows what the problem is somebody with psychic powers, and of course in steps Maxwell Lord while she's standing in the middle of a bunch of mindless zombies. He says die, they all die. Uh, He's taking control of the prisoners, obviously, and he's the one that caused the riot. Now he asks if she's there to save the day or to kill him, to which she replies that depends on him. (sighs) Um. All right. So the art's good here. Um, Definitely acceptable. There's nothing that really stands out that I can point out as amazing, but also not that I can point out as wrong. Um, I definitely prefer something with a little more detail, but it's far from something to complain about. I do like it. That said, that's about where the compliments stop. Uh, We just came off the end of an arc that was absolutely nothing. Uh, Wonder Woman versus the Four Horsemen should have been, uh, really, Horsewomen, excuse me, should have been a very good story, and instead it just, it was like dropping Mentos into Diet Coke and, and not fizzing, you know? I mean, there was just nothing there. It was absolute crap. Um, lighting your grand finale fireworks to have it go pop. Um, the setup was huge, to be huge with huge consequences and fighting and everything, but all we got was a fizzle and it went away. And th- the whole that whole thing was a waste of time, as far as I'm concerned. And this entire issue, though drawn well, does nothing to connect any stories or offer any kind of progression. Um, I suppose you could call the last couple pages an introduction into, um, uh, you know, a, a new story art, But really, it's just Maxwell Lord again. It's... I mean, there's nothing much here, other than... Other than Lord is back, and they're already in prison. They're facing each other, so not much can really come out of this realistically. She's either going to kill him or she's going to stop him while he's in prison. How much bigger could this get? Uh, it's simply just a filler issue, and uh, I complain about filler issues. But filler, is, a, fi- a filler issue is fine occasionally when it's handled right. But I feel like I feel like the entire last story arc was just a bunch of really bad filler bunch of really bad filler issues with absolutely no resolution this book needs a lifeline it needs a better story it needs better dialogue uh it could use a general direction into which it's heading because it doesn't seem to know right now my final score for wonder woman is four out of ten and now for the last issue we're reviewing this week deceased hope at worlds and number six Written by Tom Taylor, pencils and inks by Renato Guedes, colors by Rex Locus, and the covers by Guedes and Locus. Black Adam and his anti-life army have arrived at Juttenheim, and a fierce struggle for survival begins. Can the impenetrable fortress hold out until help arrives? Will anyone survive this first battle of the anti-life war? This issue takes place prior to the end of the original series, as you can uh, tell by the intro we just had there. Um, and You'll see even more evidence of that later on. So we start off in Juttenheim with, the, with some of the characters that we know as the revolutionaries from the Suicide Squad that we just reviewed here a few minutes ago. With a few other people around, like Manticore, they're all stuck in Juttenheim knowing that an anti-life army led by Black Adam is directly on their way, on its way to them. Uh, so after some deliberation and arguing among themselves, they decide that the best thing to do is to seek help from mascara. since the area is so fast. Uh, They decide that the Ares is the best way to make that happen. So the Ares traveling at supersonic speeds trying to find a hidden island. They don't know where Themyscira is at. So it's all, uh, you know, looking for a needle in a haystack at this point. They know that. But what else are they going to do? So... Uh It goes back to Duttonheim, and it's obvious to everybody there that the last that this is it this is their last stand against the infection, so they develop a plan as they see Black Adam approaching uh it's wink's plan wink teleports onto the back of Black Adam, grabs him, teleports through a mountain, and lets go of him halfway through uh The thing is when he when wink gets back up to the base, a manicure wonders if uh Black Adam could survive that being dropped in the middle of Solid Rock. And then we flip the page, and the rumbling there answers him as the Airy finds a yet-to-be-infected Wonder Woman uh, in the middle of the air. Wonder Woman asks if she, if she can help the Airy, and then we flip back to Juttenheim. Out, outside the base is I like, Gigantic army of the anti-life variety. Uh, we learned, as we learned earlier in this issue, one of the infected is a is a is a character named Nightshade. Uh, her power set includes being able to control shadows from the Nightshade realm, as well as opening doorways through the Nightshade Nightshade realm that can open up and lead to anywhere else on our plane. Uh, she uses this power to open a door right into the inside of the Dunheim base, where the team is promptly attacked. Uh, Before we see how that attack turns out, uh, on the next page, it shows us what looks like lightning cracking apart and opening the mountain. The base begins to slide off the side of the mountain. The whole edge of the mountain has just been cut off. Uh, Just in time for Wonder Woman to swoop in and hold up the 36,000 ton building for a moment. We're told that the moment doesn't last long as we see Black Adam, free of the mountain looking pretty dead, and really angry. Next, the Battle of Juttenheim. Oh, man. The original DC books really got me. I know a few people that weren't really into the first series, but I loved it. Uh, The the deaths were all handled great. I was often surprised, like, from Batman dying so early on. The story, the way that they are written, the people behind the masks turning into people instead of icons. Uh, I mean, like, these are stories that have made me feel sympathetic toward Creeper and Solomon Grundy. Uh, I have no I have no idea how that 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 even was pulled off, but Taylor and his team do it every time with this book. Uh, this was essentially a full-size issue, and it felt like maybe sixteen pages if that it it flew through um like they tend to every chapter of this alternate universe seems to draw me in more and more. Uh, even reading things out of chronological order, like we just did, we're reading books now that came out that happened you know during the time of the first arc or shortly after or before um it's not in chronological order that usually drives me absolutely bonkers, but it doesn't bother me so much because it's handled so well um Everyone has a voice that feels really it really feels attributed to them uh I can tell who's who just by reading. I wouldn't have to see the pictures of the people who were behind the word bubbles. Not at this point. Um, every issue that's every issue is driving the story forward to, toward its next chapter. There's no skips, no no missed beats. There's there's nothing. Um, I'm nef- nef- I'm 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 also never left going. Uh, what about this? Because it always gets resolved. Uh, this this issue isn't the best issue from the DC. St- uh, story arc, but it definitely hits its mark. It's not just entertaining, but it gets you invested. Um, I think a lot of writers might want to study this style of storytelling and maybe adapt it a little into theirs. I mean, it can't do anything but help, right? Uh, it's a great story. It's great art. Not the best issue out of the DC st- stories ever, but it's done very well. I give it an 8.5 out of 10. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to the Weird Science DC and Marvel Podcast Patreon page for hosting me. And until next time, be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Dumb-o got to Mr. Roboto. Dumb-o what. Dumb-o what. dumb got for Mr. Roboto. Dumb-o what. dumb Come away, got for Mr. Robato. Come away, got Mr. Robato. Come away, got Mr. Robato. Come away, got Mr. Robato. Thank you very much, Mr. Robato. We'll what he does to Mr. Robato. Thank you very much, Mr. Robato. For helping me to get to Weston. Mister, thank you. to oh, thank no you. No I oh, wanna thank no you. No oh, no thank no you.